prayer to you, Lord, would you give us faith? Give us faith, Lord. Yes, in a season that we as your church have faced division, frustration, exhaustion, Lord, remind us what it means to be children of God. We look to your psalm book as a personal prayer unto you, which says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, let this be the cry of the church. With the help of the Holy Spirit, let us be a reflection of the love and the joy of Christ. Lord, send a fresh wind. Yes, we need a fresh wind. Thank you. 
Jesus, not forget you are way maker, miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. of your love how good our God is we need this reminder every week every day God there's a reason when we come here when we feel at the end of our ropes just a week out in the world God and our souls need a refreshing our souls are longing for renewing of you Lord. so we thank you that you provide an opportunity where we can meet with you face to face where we could be vulnerable God and worship you for who you are we can rise above the circumstances in the flesh that we're dealing with and we just say God you are good God, you bring joy. God, you bring peace. So we worship you, church. As your church, we worship you, God, for most worthy. We humble ourselves before you. We glorify your name in this place. We thank you for your love. What more can we do but offer you this offering? In your name we pray. Amen. God, thank you so much for letting us worship you, church. It is so good to worship this amazing God. In the midst of his presence in his house, well, hey, today is going to be a good day. We believe that full of faith as family. Let's welcome each other as family in God's house today. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, are they a fan of the rain or of the sun? We want to get a tally going around here. Yeah? really loud sorry I blame the sound guys good morning can you believe they let me up here two weeks in a row I know it's a Christmas miracle all right if you guys weren't here last week my name is Tyler I'm the online campus pastor here I get to serve our online campus every Sunday reaching over 200 people each week and connecting with people online throughout the week I have a couple announcements today, a uh, couple things. Wow, sorry, I keep saying that. Uh, if you guys could pull out your phones, there's a sticker in the seat back in front of you. If you open up the camera and go to scan that, you're gonna, uh, it's going to bring you to a Connect card. We would love to, to connect with you uh, on another level. You can join a team, join a small group, uh, or just update your information. 
coming up this week, or sorry, next week, it, August 20th, is going to be Worship on the Lawn, 7 p.m. They decided on a location. It's going to be out in the annex area where we have the movie nights. So we would love to see you guys there. Join us for that. Back to Mops Night is coming up on the 17th. So next Tuesday night, it's a time for uh, mothers of preschoolers, um, not necessarily only preschoolers, but uh, the Mops group to come together and register for the upcoming year. And you guys can get all of the dates for everything that they have going on. Uh, it's going to be a great night. Pastor Allison's going to bring the word this morning, so if you guys could open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Hey, hey good morning. If you're wondering why it's me and not Pastor Greg's ugly face, I came to tell you. Actually, it's not so ugly. Can you just say, I love our pastor, yeah? I mean, can I tell you how much I love serving in our church? And I think it's kind of awesome uh, because this week he said, hey, rally the team. And then he said, rally the church. And I was like, okay, here I am to rally you. <laughs> but no, seriously, I think what's amazing and what I don't, I think sometimes we forget just a little bit of is the fact that on Sunday morning, the number of people it takes uh, to bring a service together. Uh, you just saw Tyler up here. Uh, doing our online stuff. He's got online stuff going on. Weston's here super early getting worship ready. Uh, we're back there working to get kids ready. And um, every pastor on staff is at hard at work every Sunday to make sure that we get to come together and gather. And uh, we have an amazing pastor and an amazing team, yeah? So I feel like let's rally that. Give that a little, you know, a little awesomeness right there. <laughs> Uh, but the truth is, many of you have known uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor uh, started feeling sick and ended up having COVID even after uh, being vaccine, vaccinated. And the fever just wasn't quite going away for him. And uh, he was so determined to be here this morning uh, because you know him. He can't spend more than a week or two away from this spot and not feel like something's wrong. So he was determined, and I love his determination, but I also um, was really worried. Uh, to be honest, I kept saying, are you sure? Because three services, you're already tired after three services. And as much as we all want to see Pastor Greg up here, we also don't want to see him pass out up here. So I was really worried, and my stress level went down at least three notches when he said, all right, sis, can you preach? And I said, absolutely, I'm ready to go. So just so you know, um, the reality is he did go into the hospital because his fever wasn't going away. And the doctor said, you're actually still highly contagious. So it's the doctor who told him he couldn't come here this morning, not me. He was not going to listen to me for sure. I'm 100% sure that he was wanting to be here with you. So um, just so you know, his heart is right here. Um, but his doctor said, stay home. Because uh, apparently, even after 15, 16 days of COVID, if you still have a fever, you're still contagious. So uh, we're thankful he's not sharing with us today. <laughs> If I can say that. But uh, if I can also tell you one more thing, uh, because of this situation, we've made a couple adjustments on our calendar. Uh, the reason we've made them is just because uh, I can't imagine the doctor actually asked Pastor Greg to take two Sundays away from uh, preaching. So if you can believe it, we're going to have an Abbey duo because I get to preach this week and my husband will be preaching next week. So he'll bring the word next week. It's going to be fun. Abbey duo in August. Maybe we'll just make it a tradition. No teasing, but um, the, the doctor did ask him to take two Sundays before he comes back, even if uh, he's uh, feeling better, they asked for that. So we're going to move our church picnic to August 22nd so that we know that pastor will be here and it'll kind of be a celebration that he's back on the pulpit and uh, preaching his word to you. So we're moving our picnic to the 22nd for that reason. And because of that, uh, we're also moving our annual business meeting again. <laughs> So sorry, but the truth is, um, Pastor Greg leads that um, that meeting, and from what I understand with this uh, virus, especially when it hit as hard as it hit him, it'll be a while before he has full stamina. As a matter of fact, the doctor suggested he only do half days at work for a while until he feels fully back to normal. So we're moving the uh, annual business meeting all the way to September 26th, a full month. We want to make sure he's ready to do three services of preaching and then be back uh, for a business meeting on a Sunday night. So so just we'll probably send some mailers out just for you to know that. But just so you understand, that's part of the reason and the heart behind all of all of that. So amen. So let's rally. Is that the word? That's the coin term we're going to do. We're going to rally as a church family. Uh, 
around our pastor, just pray for him. I want to do that for just a minute before we get into God's word, um, because uh, we are thankful. If I can tell you, he did message us yesterday and just said, first time I have not had a fever in like three weeks. So amen. We know he's turned a corner and he's on the path of working towards being uh, better and able to come back in. As a matter of fact, um, he hopes to be back in the office soon. The doctor said at least three days without a fever before he can be back, so he's like really excited for it. So let's pray, and uh, I, as I say that, feel free as I pray to pray out loud as well. Pray for your pastor with me. Would you do that with me? Uh, Jesus, we are thankful to be together, gathering together. God, I'm so thankful for every person that came in this room, and we just want to lift up our pastor in prayer to you. You just bring healing to his body. God, you know his body, and you know the way ahead. And God, I, I think of that song we were singing this morning, uh, that even when we don't see it, God, you're working, and we know it, we trust it, and we just ask, God, that you would do your mighty work uh, in Pastor Greg's body, in this church body, as a church, as a whole, God, that you draw us together, that you draw our team together, that you bring us all together in your mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I am really excited, just so you know, it wasn't just a couple days ago, but uh, last Sunday I started thinking, well, I'm going to prepare a sermon just in case, uh, and I was really excited about this one. I titled it One, uh, and then there's an awesome sheep, because that's what we are, right? Okay. You're going to have to give me more, a lot more today. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, but here, we'll get, I have a question to get us started just to get going. Uh, have you ever lost something? I know everybody in this room has lost something and, and like to the point where maybe you become super frantic to find it. Yeah. Your purse, your wallet, a set of keys, your phone, your bank card, a child. I mean, you name it. Okay. <laughs> I've, well, my son actually reminded me, he's like, no, mom, you have lost me before. Do you remember that one time at Wild Wife? And I'm like, oh, I try not to remember that. Uh, but I do remember a time I lost my wedding ring, and that was a little scary for me because I didn't realize it. Um, I was frantically looking around the house, and then I remembered that morning we had been driving to church, and I took my ring off to do my hair because it gets snagged in my hair when I'm trying to braid it. And I had this vision. I remembered I'd been sitting in the car, and I put my ring in my lap. Of course, we get out of the car on a gravel road, and I'm thinking, my wedding ring is in a gravel road. It's been probably surely driven over. It's probably destroyed. And I have to tell David. Okay. So he's super gracious. I went and told him and I was like nearly in tears. And we just drove back to the church. And I'm not joking, not even a minute into searching. We saw the glistening light of my diamond ring. And it was fine. And it's still here. But you know the panic you feel when you're like, how did this happen? How did I lose it? Um, maybe another story, just a little more funny just to get us going. I actually remember driving down the road one time, and then I started frantically looking for my keys. <laughs> frantically thinking, how am I going to get into the house? How am I going to drive the car? And I told myself in that exact moment, I will never tell a single soul about this. <laughs> But, you know, we all love a little bit of funny, but it's true. You, you know what it's like when we lose stuff. I actually remember being the lost child before, and I thought I'd share a little bit about that because in our passage today, we are going to be in Luke chapter 15. We're talking about the lost sheep, and so often we talk about the perspective of the shepherd, but we're also going to talk today about the shepherd of the one who was lost. So I thought I should just share with you a time that I was lost, and I wonder if you remember a time when you felt lost, whether you're driving a car, <clears throat> whether you were younger and you got lost in the supermarket, <clears throat> I used to like to hide between the clothes and my mom would get panicked because she couldn't find me, <clears throat> that kind of thing. But I remember one time we were uh, with some friends. We'd gone out to dinner with some friends in an area that I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, and after dinner, my mom said, well, why don't you girls go and play, go hang out with each other? I was probably nine. She was 12. So we were definitely a little bit of an age gap, but we took off and uh, next thing you know, we're visiting one of her friends at a different house, and then we go to a different house, and we go to a different house, and then, you know, kind of toward the, I don't know, good hour or so more into it, I realize, um, I don't know where we are, but it was a very uncomfortable situation for me, because we walk into a home that there's no parents' home, and there's a bunch of boys there, so I was like super uncomfortable. And I thought, I went to the girl and I said, I think we should go. I feel like our parents are probably looking for us, probably wondering where we are. And she's like, nah, they're fine. So I'm like, I'm leaving. 
And I actually, if you remember a time where you've been that kind of scared, I remember still today the clothes I was wearing. I never wore that jacket ever again after that day. <laughs> um, but I got to a point where I realized I didn't know the way back to where I'd come. I didn't know the way to where I was hoping to go. And I was running down the street in the middle of, I don't even know where, and I ended up at a gas station. Now, I just have to pause one moment and tell you, cell phones weren't a thing back then when I was nine. Nobody had a cell phone. My mom didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone. Okay, the other thing, <clears throat> there were still phone booths back then, and they worked, okay? <laughs> and they had phone books, in them. Okay, so I find myself at this phone booth, and I see this phone book, and I'm frantically looking to see if I can find this family and get their phone number, because you know all they have are these telephones with the wires still on them and the cords and everything. And um, so I, I look through there, but then I realize, oh, you know, most police officers, and they were police officers back then, don't have their phone numbers in the phone book. So I'm in the phone booth, I feel like not Superman, crying, not knowing where I am, and I closed my eyes, and I just have to say, it's got to be the grace of God, because I had this vision in my mind of my mom dialing the phone number on one of those push-button phones, and I thought, okay. So I dialed the phone number, collect call, mind you, because I didn't have any money either, and thank Jesus, it was the right phone number. I don't even know how. And by that point, the girl had gone home and told her mom what had happened, and they were frantic over there. And so my mom picked me up, and we went home, and I never wore those clothes ever again. <laughs> I don't know. It was just scary. But you know what it's like, right? I feel like if you have never been in that situation, hope you feel it with me just a little bit. It was really scary. So when we look in Luke chapter 15 today, we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep. And it might be somewhat familiar to some of you, um, but I wonder if... That's kind of how God wants us to put that kind of importance uh, toward a high level of urgency that we might have toward those who are lost, who don't know Jesus. So let's read it together, and we're going to talk today about both perspectives from the shepherd and the lost sheep. Are you ready? It's, we're going to start right there in, uh, in verse chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So first consider that lost sheep just for a minute. We'll start there. If you know that heart-dropping feeling of being lost, oh, you know how extremely scary it is, right? So consider... Those that don't know Jesus, those who've not received that message of salvation, think about it for a minute. I actually think there's a desperation, a desperate kind of need inside of them to find their way. Even an uncertainty for them maybe that just doesn't measure up. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11 actually says that God set eternity in the hearts of all people. So what that teaches me is that we can be sure that every person actually has an understanding, even deep down inside of them, that this isn't it, that life here isn't the end, that our goals and dreams now aren't the end of our story. And deep down inside of every person, we know that there's more. And for those who are lost, they're searching. The difference is they might not know exactly what they're searching for. Have you ever done that? Walked into a room and you can't remember what you walked into the room for? You just can't remember. So you trace your steps back and you think about it. And as you get older, you just never remember. But the truth is, well, that's not the point. The point is, those who don't know Jesus are searching. And maybe they can't quite pinpoint what it is they're looking for. What they need is someone to come alongside of them to show them Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today. There's this old illustration. I call it an old illustration because I'm old. And I remember hearing this a number of times when I was a youth. And I haven't heard it since. So I'm just going to bring it up. Um, but the idea was that I remember a number of preachers preaching about how often we fill our searching with other things, right? Uh, popularity, job status, money, 
drugs or sex or sports or body image, food, acceptance, all of those things, uh, we might fill ourselves up with those things, things that uh, won't fill us up the way Jesus can. Do you guys ever, anybody my, you know, my age, do you remember a preacher preaching that before? Okay. See, there's a few. Okay. <laughs> but any unhealthy habit could be what people around you are trying to fill that space with, kind of like a space that was intended for a relationship with Jesus that leads to eternity, that we often, and it can be believers and unbelievers alike, we can get off track too sometimes and start filling our hearts with lots of different things. The difference is that we understand or we have an understanding that those things won't fulfill us and eventually will fail us. People who don't know Jesus are going through that process of trying to fill themselves with these things, and they're not working. Eventually, they're failing them, and they're still searching. So understand, man, when those who don't know Jesus are searching and they're filling their space, it will never, ever satisfy, right? Some of you actually remember a time when you were trying to fill your lives with different things where your focus was on your body image or your focus was on acceptance or your focus was on whatever your focus was on, you realized it wasn't going to satisfy. And so you keep searching. Many of you probably remember a time in your life like that. I pray that we would be a people that would help them find Jesus, just like our passage is talking about today. It's calling us into like a, a shepherd searches for his lost sheep, as a mother or father would search for their lost child. I'm going to bring us back to the passage so now we can look at the shepherd, but you hear what I'm saying, right? They're searching. So let's talk about it from the point of the shepherd. Go back to our our verse. I'm going to read back again. The tax collectors and sinners, this is verse 1, were gathering together around Jesus and uh, the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, in that time, sitting together, sharing a meal was considered a kind of acceptance or a recognition between the people you're sharing a meal with. So the Pharisees might have looked at that and said Jesus was approving of their choices or the way that they were living. Because truly, it would have been totally out of the question for a Pharisee to share a meal with someone that they would consider a sinner, right? So here Jesus was showing them or demonstrating to them that you can live God's way and still receive those that aren't living God's way in a way that points them toward a better path. Think about Matthew, the tax collector. He found truth because of Jesus' example in his life, right? Okay, keep reading in the passage a little bit further. Verse 3, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99? Doesn't the shepherd leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? We'll carry on in verse 5. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Amen? Yeah. I wonder, are we this serious and intentional about searching for lost people, willing to step out of the company of our closest people, the 99, and willing to reach out to the one who's lost. Here's the deal. I love this movie, Finding Nemo. I'm going to break just for a minute because Finding you guys know the movie, right? Marlon's the dad, right? And he stepped out of his comfort zone. That's why I thought I'd bring this one up. He stepped out of his comfort zone uh, to find his son because this Nemo, Nemo, his fish got the fish. His son, there is his son. His son gets lost and he goes to find him, but he has to go out into the open ocean and, and face a lot of his fears and get out of his comfort zone. Uh, I don't know, he has to, he's going to face some, you know, sharks, first of all. Um, but he has to go way beyond anything what he would have ever dreamed he could have ever done in order to find his, his son. Um, even Nemo didn't believe that his dad would go to such great lengths to search for him. So we're going to watch a little 60-second clip, and then we'll talk about it from there. Go ahead. Hey, hey, psst. 
Oh, Nigel, you just missed an extraction. Oh, has he loosened the periodontal ligament with the elevator yet? Uh, what am I talking about? Nemo, where's Nemo? I've got to speak with him. What? What is it? Your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. My father? Really? Really? Oh, yeah. He's traveled hundreds of miles. He's been battling sharks and jellyfish, sharks? all sorts of... That can't be him. Are you sure? What was his name? Uh, some sort of sport fish or something. Tuna? Uh, trout? Marlin? That's it. Marlin, the little clownfish from the reef. It's my dad. He took on a shark. I heard he took on three. Three? Three? Three sharks? There's got to be 4,800 teeth. You see, kid, after you were taken by Diver Dan over there, your dad followed the boat you were on like a maniac. Really? He's swimming and he's swimming and he's giving it all his gold. And then three gigantic sharks capture him. He blows him up. And then dive starts its feet where he gets chased by a monster with huge teeth. He ties the steam into a rock. What does he get for a reward? He gets to battle an entire jellyfish forest. But now he's riding with a bunch of sea turtles on the East Australian current, and the word is he's headed this way right now to Sydney. Wow. Oh, what a good day. <laughs> he was looking for you after all, Shark Knight. <laughs> yeah? You guys like the, remember the movie? It's been a while since you've seen that, right? <laughs> but first of all, recognize the passion from the pelican, right? I mean, that's what made Nemo a believer that that was his dad, right? And then look at the perspective of the dad, right? He actually did go to great lengths, way beyond his comfort level, way beyond what he would have ever thought he could have ever done to be able to come and find his son, which, at the end of that, brought restoration to that relationship, right? I mean, that's a good show. <sighs> Goodness, I have to work harder. Okay. <laughs> But here's my question is, are we that kind of serious about searching and looking for lost people, willing to step outside of our comfort zone in the same way, go to great lengths beyond our capabilities to be courageous, to overcome our fears even, that kind of searching for lost people? Because the challenge I think that we have today, the one we're facing today in our, in our time together is the one, Right? The one person who lost their job and needs encouragement. Or the one person who's in a bad relationship and needs hope to move forward. Or the one person who has a drug addiction and needs someone to show up and help them find a better way. Or the one person who's really just struggling to find their way. The one person that God is putting on your mind because they are lost in need of a Savior who will forgive them and restore them and welcome them into the family of God for eternity. Amen? Amen. That's our challenge. I pray that here at MRCC, if we can be a people focused on the one who needs Jesus and we search for him like a father searches for a missing child, think of the impact we could make right here in our community. I don't know if you've heard the analogy of a starfish before, but it kind of helped me at one point. Um, it's about a guy walking on the shore and it's kind of low tide, and he comes to a place where there's thousands of starfish up on the seashore. And he sees them, and he just knows that they will die if they stay there. The sun is baking, the tide is out. So he starts walking, starts picking up starfish and flinging them into the ocean as he's walking. And another man walks up to him. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm throwing the starfish back. He's like, do you see there are thousands of starfish here, thousands and thousands of them. There's no way you will ever make an impact here in this place. There's just no way. There's no way you could accomplish that task. And the man thought about it for a second. He reaches down and picks up one starfish. And as he flings it into the ocean, he says, well, it matters to that one. Right? Are we searching for the one? The one person who needs our encouragement. The one person who needs just to see Jesus in us. The one person that is searching. And they don't necessarily know that they're searching for Jesus, but they are. I'm going to show you a little bit what I love is when even when Jesus called his disciples, uh, Mark 1.16 tells us that as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake because they're fishermen, and he says this. He says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So even Jesus was saying, this is our greatest calling to reach out to the one to the people who need him. This is a core value. This is, one, this is the most important core value to reach out for people who don't know him. That's what he wanted his disciples to learn. That's what he wants us to learn. 
He wants us to be fishers of men and women, seeking as a shepherd would look for the one who's lost. Man, it's true uh, here at church. I love it. We have uh, Bible studies. We have our grow groups. We gather together. I love how encouraging we can be to one another. I love worshiping together with you. All of those things. These are all amazing and great things, yes? But they're not the main thing. They aren't our purpose. They're preparations for our purpose. They're, they're things that we do to encourage one another in our purpose, encouraging each other to search for those who don't know Jesus, to share our faith, bring more understanding to people who don't know the gospel. Oh, I pray, I pray, I pray that we're hearing this, that attending church, worshiping together like this, being involved in a grow group, studying God's word, prayer, drawing closer in relation, these are all amazing things. These are good things. These are wonderful things. They're necessary things. And they're extremely important and valuable in our relationship with God and how we encourage one another. But the number one thing is searching for lost people and bringing them home. Jesus taught, right, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is to love others as yourself. So if Jesus came, like the Bible says, to seek and save the lost, and if the greatest commandment is to love him and love others, that means that our seeking and saving the lost is the greatest demonstration of our love for him and for others, right? Searching for them like we might search for our wallet or our keys intently. Oh, I think the truth is, and the hard part, the hard reality is, it's comfortable to be with our people, isn't it? It's comfortable. I'm happy with my little pot of people that I like to be with, the people who know Jesus and we can talk about. It. I love that. And that's good. There's goodness in it for sure. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying. But it's so easy for us to focus our attention on growing in maturity in Christ, which is good. But if our focus is there all the time, we miss the opportunity within our purpose that we've been called into. The entire reason that we spend worshiping and growing and growing in our relationship with Christ is for the purpose that we might seek and save the lost. So I'm going to spend the last little bit of our time talking about a few ways of the how, right? How do we do this? How do we, how do we go and seek and save the lost? I'm going to share just a couple of things because the truth is that when our focus is on the one, it does. It changes everything, everything about how we live, everything about how we respond to others, how we spend our time, what we invest our time and money in. It changes everything. So I'm going to start with the first one. My first thought is this. First, that my life would be an example, Right? Whenever my kids or my husband go anywhere, I will often say to them, don't forget who you represent. Right? I actually have a friend of mine that shared with me not long ago saying that she didn't really think it was a problem to drink excessively if she was in a safe environment. We consider that drinking responsibly. But consider our witness, who we represent, and ask yourself, would Jesus choose that? Allowing drunkenness in the context of drinking responsibly. No way. I'm going to read 1 Peter 3, 15 to 18. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And hear this. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Amen? How will someone be found if in their searching we aren't a reflection of Jesus? So we need our lives to be in step with Jesus, our worship to reflect Christ, our decisions to demonstrate a life that's just sold out for Jesus. Not just because the lost need to see it, but because we really are living out what we know is truth, that Jesus is our Savior and King with a love for us that is so great and beyond our understanding that he died for our sins. He died for our sins, but while we were sinners, right? I mean, you know the verse, it's Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Right? 
So living for Jesus is a passion welling up inside us to overflowing because of what Jesus did for us. He did the unimaginable, and he extended a grace that we didn't earn, we didn't deserve, and yet by his grace, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are saved from the wage of our sin. The very fact of that is what really should spur us on to seek after those who need to know that incredible truth also. Amen? Look at Colossians with me, 4, verses 5 and 6. This is, be wise in the way you act toward others. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Isn't it true how important it is? Our life example matters. Not only my example, but my response to those around me, especially those who don't know Jesus, that I would respond like First Peter and Colossians, those verses we just read. They, they tell us uh, to, to respond with a gentleness and respect full of grace. That's what will draw others toward Jesus, not pushing them away. That's why Jesus sat with tax collectors and sinners, right? He didn't reject them or point them, point out all of their wrongs. No, he received them. He shared life with them. He wasn't worried about what the other people thought about him. Instead, he chose to be an example that would draw them toward the truth of the gospel. You know, I have another friend of mine who shared a concern over her teenager. She said she didn't want her teenager attending youth group because the youth pastor in her area, not around here, but the youth pastor in her area had been um, reaching out to troubled teens. So she didn't want that kind of example for her kids, and she didn't want to send her kids to youth group. But Jesus says, Mark 2, 17, it's not the healthy you need the doctor, but, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. The truth is, oh man, youth group really is probably the best place for my kids to be a testimony. It really is. It's an opportunity for them in that place. Think about the opportunities that they have there. I would rather they have those experiences at their youth group or then they can come home and talk to me about it and we can have conversations about it that in those moments uh, I can help them in those situations about what they've heard and what they've seen. And then from there they can become a, a greater example in their community and their activities and the places around, yeah? I think what happens is we miss if we want our youth group or our church to be exclusively Christian believers. The place for that, sure, there's a place for that, maybe in a Bible study. But in that Bible study, I sure hope you're encouraging each other to live the example of Jesus so that those who don't know him have a place to come and invite them to your church or your youth group. If my kids can learn how to be an example and a witness in their youth group, oh man, I hope that overflows to their relationships at school and their activities. Because here's the truth. I, I don't think we, we can't miss this. We are all broken people, aren't we? The church is already full of sinners because that's what we are. Now, yes, we're sinners forgiven by the grace of God through Jesus, but we're still sinners. That should, again, encourage us to welcome those who are broken, who don't know Jesus yet, a place where they can find the same redemption that we have. Amen? I'm going to bring us to our second one. First, that our life would be an example. Second, that we would share our gifts and our talents to those who don't know Jesus. That we would let our example and our witness be evident in how we share our gifts. Look at First Peter. He says in verse 10, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in, very, in its various forms. Being a faithful steward of God's grace. God's grace in that he's given you gifts in your abilities. Every skill that you have is a gift from God intended to be shared. And if you don't know, I'll just encourage you, if, you don't, if you're like, I don't have any gifts, I don't know what my gifts are, I will tell you something, you are gifted, I guarantee it. Look at your character, because I guarantee maybe you're a good encourager. Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you're an administrative type. Who knows? I know that God has gifted every person. That's what my Bible teaches me, so I know you're gifted, and I know God's given it to you. Just keep searching, because it's there. Look at your character. I guarantee that if you look at your character, that you'll see what God has given you, and he intends you to use that as a faithful steward of your gifts. 
Now let me give you part of the reason why he wants us to be a faithful steward of our gifts is so that the people you see serving Jesus with their whole heart, man, they're going to sense the presence of Jesus around you, right? That your service would provide a way of encouragement for those who don't know Jesus. I pray this. Every Sunday I pray that anyone who walks through the door here, that they would recognize the presence of Jesus in this place that they would sense the Holy Spirit moving in this place. And I believe that the presence of Jesus is evident because of every person who's serving Jesus faithfully, that they're, that they're being a steward of his grace with their gifts and that they're serving Jesus with their whole heart. Don't we have an amazing team here? I mean, come on. We have, in kids' ministries alone, we have over 130 people volunteering, sharing their gifts stewarding the gift that God has given them. I, are, I don't know how many others. I know there's so many more on the security team, on the welcome team, on the coffee team. I mean, there's so many teams at work in this place. And when you walk through the doors, I pray that you sense the Holy Spirit moving here, especially when you see people serving Jesus with their whole hearts. My favorite thing is, uh, I don't know, walking through the doors and people who are serving, man, just the joy. There's so much joy there. I just... Well, kids too, but it's, it's a toss-up for me. Those kids, when they smile, I'm telling you, okay. Um, but, but seriously, there's so much more joy, I find, when we're serving together. Yeah? Third one, and maybe this is the hardest one for some of us, but sharing the gospel. At some point, the truth is, our example, our witness, a lot of it comes through our nonverbal communication, our interactions, our relationships, yes. But there will be a time that we need to share our faith with words, right? Listen to what Paul says, Romans 10. He says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Understand something. It's not just a pastor that's qualified to share the gospel. Amen? We are all sent. Think about the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. Jesus is with you always to the very end of the age. It's not just pastors. Every single one of us are called to share the gospel, to share our lives, to share our gifts and our talents. Even if we don't know what to say, trust Jesus to help you because he says, I am with you always to the very end. If I can share two small little bits of advice, though, in this, when you share the gospel with someone, Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all friends. Don't get, we don't get very far, do we, if we condemn someone who doesn't know Jesus. Be gentle. And then look at Romans 14 when it says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Because we know arguing doesn't really usually get us very far, does it? In any way, arguing doesn't usually get us very far, especially in a trusting relationship. So I would say this, be patient. The right opportunity will come. But I would say rejoice in those opportunities because Jesus will help you. That's the very last bit of our whole passage that we've been reading today in Luke. The very end of it of Luke chapter 15 verse 7 says, There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Right? That means the greatest and sweetest rejoicing that's happening in heaven is over the one. That's a big deal. Man, I want to have that heart-dropping sense of compassion over those that are lost. And I want to have the intentionality in searching for them like a shepherd looking for his lost sheep. I want to rejoice with you over those that are found. I want to be part of a church that is searching intently for the one. Will you join me? Yeah. Man, and if every one of us follows that path, right, reaching out, searching intently, I know so many will be found. Man, I know, I'll tell you this as we close today, I've had the joy of being able to pray with a handful of different people to receive Jesus in their heart. I just want to share a couple as we close today as an encouragement to you. 
when I was um, in college, I was a middle school kind of an associate in Bellingham. And we took a group of students to a conference. And there was this one girl who was really um, engaged in what was going on. And then I just watched her sort of start to move to the back of the room, kind of pull herself away from the group. And so I went to check on her. And she began asking me question after question after question after question. And the most beautiful thing happened because Jesus is the one who gave me the right words. I didn't even know fully how to answer the questions she was asking in a way that Jesus knew that she needed to hear. But Jesus gave me those words. And after a while, she asked me to pray with her. And I will tell you, it was the sweetest prayer of my life. Praying for Jesus to be her Savior. And tremendous rejoicing in heaven took place. Second, my son. When he was eight years old and we went to kids camp, it was 2016, he was playing around, goofing around in the back. He had the nickname Wanderson, okay? He, was, he didn't ever sit still. He had a glow stick that he was spinning around, just wandering the back. I did not think he was even paying attention. And then the pastor, toward the end of his sermon, asked kids to come forward who wanted to respond to Jesus right then. And there goes my son, sauntering up to the front. And at that point, I still thought he was goofing around. I just thought he was following the crowd, man. Still flinging his glow stick, walking back and forth while everybody else was responding. And I thought, oh, she's just, just doing that. Until later, when he came to me to tell me how his response time went. He shared with me all that he'd absorbed, how it all made sense to him, and, and he asked Jesus into his heart. You know, I guess he was paying attention, wasn't he? We just can't always know. Jesus spoke into his heart, and rejoicing in heaven took place. For me, it was a testimony of another person that made Jesus more real to me than ever. After some really challenging seasons in my life, Jesus showed me something that I had never understood before. He showed me an example through someone else of contentment, of surrender, of trusting Jesus. And that night when I laid in my bed, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. And there was incredible rejoicing in heaven. The point is, everyone is different. We can't possibly know how God will use us in any interaction or situation to draw someone toward him. We just need to be faithful, to live the example, to share our gifts and our talents, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus with confidence, with a heart of compassion for every single one. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll pray together this morning. Oh, Jesus, we are so humbled to be your servants, God, that you would even use us to begin with. But Lord, help us to be confident in it, to be courageous in it, God, that you would be able to use us in, in mighty ways to bring those who don't know you to an understanding of your word. God, we're thankful that you've given us your word to learn from, to grow from. God, we're so thankful for this body of believers that we can come together and this team, this leadership team. God, we're thankful for the opportunities that we have right here in our own community. God, I pray a blessing over this week, God, as we search for the one. In your name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.